Abigail from the sermon series, Unsung Heroines, spoken by Pastor Ansi Post. Hello everyone in the sanctuary, in the nursery, online. I'm so excited to speak to you today. Um, but before we do, let's go to the Lord. Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time when we get to worship you through your word. We thank you that you're a God who loves us. Lord, we ask that this message be your Holy Spirit speaking, that they not be my words, but your words, and that no one here leaves not transformed by this message, Lord. That what we need to hear in this, whatever part it is, Lord, that you impart it onto them and that they know that what they are called to. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. While I have learned and read these verses, uh, this verse in the Beatitudes many times, this past year when I read those words, they just hit me a little differently. I started to ask myself a question. Can I be a child of God if I don't, if I'm not a peacemaker? Do I have the same attributes as God? Do I act and look like God? These questions were real crisis moment for me. I had to ask myself, if I'm not a peacemaker, am I a child of God? I have always seen myself as a peaceful person. I think of peace as being peaceful or as peacekeeping. But in the past year, I've come to realize that peacekeeping is not the same as peacemaking. Often we confuse a peacemaker with a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper desires to maintain peace by avoiding conflict. They typically give in to the tension and steer clear of disagreements in order to keep others happy. A peacemaker, on the other hand, will engage in the inner and outer turmoil in order to establish peace and resolve it. Peacemaking requires engaging in conflict and tension to help bring it to a solid place. Peacekeepers hate rocking the boat, and they will sacrifice their own inner peace in order to maintain the facade of peace with others. I have many times sacrificed my inner peace in order to maintain the facade of peace. I grew up in the Indian church um, and in the Indian culture where like most um, Asian cultures, the motto is don't rock the boat, maintain the status quo. My parents, unfortunately, were people with a high sense of right and wrong. Sometimes it was their own sense of what was right, but they many times felt like they could not stand by when wrong was being done, especially in the church. Let me tell you, this does not lead to a peaceful life. Many times I felt like we were engaged in some type of conflict at or other all the time. And I felt like saying to them, why do you have to get involved? Just leave it alone. No one else cares. So what if it's not right? Why does it have to be you? Since I witnessed this pretty often as a kid, I became conflict adverse. I avoided conflicts whenever I could. And if I couldn't avoid a conflict, I had the mentality that I was going to win. Just ask my poor husband who has to ha argue with me. <laughs> I also decided that I was not going to to develop deep relationships because I did not want to deal with the conflicts that came along with deep relationships. I don't even like picking a restaurant to eat because I don't want to pick something someone else may not like because, you know, I'd rather just go along and do what others wanted rather than mess anything up. 
I was being peaceful, right? I was following what Jesus taught, right? No, I was being a peacekeeper. I was not a peacemaker. Peacemaking or making peace takes initiative. It mandates action. Peace must be made. Peace never happens by chance. Peacemakers are never passive. It takes initiative. A peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to each other. Peacemaking is not just a good idea. It is the mission of God and the vocation of God's people. It is central to our faith. It is an actual way of life and the very thing we've been saved into. Today, I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 25 to learn from Abigail on how to be a peacemaker. Just as we've learned from the others unsung heroines of the Bible like Hannah, Deborah, and Ruth so far, we have much to learn from Abigail. From Abigail, we're going to see how being a peacemaker takes risk, takes humility, and takes wisdom. 1 Samuel 25, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to that, is a long chapter. So I'm just going to give you some highlights, and then we're going to read some scripture along the way. The chapter begins by telling us that Samuel the prophet had just died, and all of Israel was mourning him. And after Samuel's death, David um, goes to the desert of Param, where a Calebite named Nabal had property. Nabal was married to Abigail. Abigail was an intelligent woman. She was also beautiful. And Nabal was a very wealthy man who owned many sheep and goats. He was also a surly and unpleasant man. I am so excited to share with you about Abigail, one of my favorite biblical characters. She's been one of my favorites since I was a kid. Um, And as she was a woman in the Bible, praised for her intelligence. Beauty too, but did you notice that the intelligence was, was noted first? I did. Um, So she is not noted in the Bible because she could not have children or she had a special child or some sort of moral failure, but for her intelligence. And that's why she has intrigued me since I was a kid. So when I was a kid, I'm sure all of you are just like me, right? Like sitting in church, flipping through your Bibles, reading Bible stories, and coming up with the name combinations of your imaginary children. So my first and number one choice was Abigail, who was going to be the name of my imaginary firstborn daughter, Abigail Faith. Then I got married, and apparently husbands have opinions too on the names of their children, and he picked the name of our first child, and he named her Parker, which is a great name. I got to keep the Faith part, so our, our firstborn is Parker Faith. But it did kill a childhood dream for me. So let this be a warning to those of you who are single and dreaming of your future relationship. We never quite imagine our future relationships accurately. I'm sure when Abigail dreamed of her future husband, she did not dream of a man like Nabal. One who was um, mean and surly, one whose name literally means fool, and one who even his servants call wicked. We see that Nabal was very wealthy, and he had a lot of sheep and goats. And while David and his men were in exile, they made sure not to bother Nabal or his men and protected the sheep and shepherds and didn't poach any of their property. So when sheep shearing season came, David knew that there was going to be a feast. Sheep shearing was traditionally celebrated with a huge feast with plenty to spare. So David sends his men with a message saying to Nabal, Hey, Nabal! You know, we took care of your sheep and shepherd at no cost to you. 
would you now reward us for our service to you? Nabal says no, but he doesn't just say no. He decides to be pretty insulting about it. He says, who is this David? Who are you? You're a nobody. Why should I use my resources to reward you? David is so insulted by this that he and his men grab their sword and they're ready to kill all the males in Nabal's household. A servant comes to Abigail and tells her what has happened and asks her to take care of it. Abigail now has a choice to make. She can choose to be a peacemaker and save her family, or she can choose to ignore it for the sake of her own comfort. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 18 to 19. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisin, 200 cakes of pressed fig, and loaded them on a donkey. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Abigail chose to be a peacemaker. She gathers her resources and sneaks out without her husband's knowledge to appeal to David. She teaches us how to be a peacemaker, a true child of God. So how do we become peacemakers? First, we become peacemakers when we take risks. Being a peacemaker takes risk. Abigail took a risk when she went against her husband's orders and without telling him, took food that was most likely for the banquet that he planned for sheep shearing for David and his men. The servant told Abigail to think about it carefully and see what she could do. Abigail knows that her household is in danger due to her husband's actions and, her, and his words. And so she acts. Peacemaking is not passive. It is active. It requires action and risk. Peacemaking does not happen in our comfort zone. It requires us to step out of our comfort zones into places that make us uncomfortable. Abigail lived in a time when women did not have many rights. and They did not even have the right to disagree with her husband. So when she decides to go against Nabal's explicit orders and take the food for his banquet and give it to David, it is a risk. She does all this without telling her husband. The Bible is clear. Nabal is a mean and surly person. Typically, mean and surly people are not just mean and surly to outsiders, but typically their own families and especially their wives. Abigail is taking a risk by defying her husband. Abigail took a risk when she went to David and the 400 men that were with him who were intent and on their way to destroy her family and property. If the risk she was taking in defying her husband is big, the risk that she's taking in approaching David is huge. Here is a man severely insulted by her husband. He has a large group of renegade men with him, and they're currently the enemy of the king. This is not a place I would want to take a stroll to. Abigail is an intelligent woman. She knows that Nabal, as Nabal's wife, she is taking a risk, risking her life by approaching David. However, she steps boldly into the unknown to make peace. Abigail took two big risks, one in defying her husband and one in approaching David, and both risk her life. It is risky to seek peace. 
We live in an unpredictable world and it is tempting to stay in our comfort zones where it is safe. But it is said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men or good women, as we see with Abigail, to do nothing. Where are the places that God is calling you to act, that you are staying silent where you are doing nothing? Where is it that you need to take the step of faith? Some of us need to take that risk and step forward into the places where we need to seek peace. Are there conversations you've been avoiding because you don't want to rock the boat? Are there people you need to forgive or who you need to ask forgiveness from? Has someone hurt you so badly that you can't forgive him or her? Sometimes the offense is small, sometimes it is big, but both require us to forgive. It is risky to forgive. It is risky to ask for forgiveness, but peacemaking is always risky, but it is always worth it. Not every situation is going to resolve peacefully, but every situation is worth seeking peace in. We cannot seek peace in this world until we have our own inner peace. And that is why the first step to peacemaking is to forgive and seek forgiveness. Each of us have a risk we need to take in order to seek peace. Going to seminary for me was a real risk. I know it's not risking my life like Abigail did, but coming from my cultural background, it was a huge risk. I was already working as a physical therapist and very successfully. I was managing a big clinic, making a decent living, and, I, and in the midst of a relationship and health crisis, I decided to go to seminary. It was a risk for me to cut down on my hours. It was a risk to eventually take time off from work to go to seminary. I debated between getting my doctorate in physical therapy and going to seminary and filled out both applications at the same time, you know, just in case. <laughs> I wasn't even sure that my pastor would write me the recommendation letter I needed to get into seminary because I grew up in a church tradition that did not believe in women leading in ministry. And I had no plans to go into vocational ministry. I just wanted to learn more. Nobody could understand why I would want to go to get my MDiv when I had no plans to do anything with it, and I was doing well as a physical therapist. Looking back, I can see the hand of God guiding me to where I am today. And somehow, I stumbled along to where I am today and where God wanted me to be. It was a risk. 14 years, it's been 14 years since I started seminary and nine years since I became a pastor. And most of the people in the church that I grew up with then, and most of the, my extended family do not acknowledge that I am a pastor. So if my risk was to get approval, guess what? It didn't work out. But my risk was to step out into the scary unknown that God was calling me to and see where it would lead. And you know what? It's worked out well. I was ordained last year in the ECC. I serve as a secretary of the um, East Coast Conference of our denomination. I, I sit, I'm sorry, I serve, I sit on the executive board of our East Coast Conference of our denomination. I serve as a secretary of the Covenant Asian Pastors Association. When I took the risk to go to seminary, I had no idea where God was leading me to. And I never imagined I would be speaking on this stage today. It was a risk for me to go to seminary. But that risk has brought me the inner peace of stepping into my calling from God. 
I had been following what my parents wanted and my, what my culture expected of living a good life and a socially successful life. I loved and still love being a physical therapist. Nothing is wasted with God. But I am called to be a pastor. And I am glad I took the risk to reconcile myself to God's call on my life. The biggest risk I needed to take was to make peace between me and God for being swept away by my cultural expectations rather than my calling from my creator. So what is the risk that God is calling you to today? Peacemaking doesn't just take risk. Secondly, we become peacemakers by being humble. Peacemaking requires us to be humble. We can learn a lot about peacemaking from how Abigail approaches David. Let's look at verses 23 to 24. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. She greeted David with honor. She bowed deeply to him. She fell at David's feet and called herself his servant. She is the wife of a wealthy and influential man, and she humbles herself as a servant to serve this motley crew and their exile leader. Humility requires truth-telling. Abigail does not excuse her husband's behavior, but rather calls out Nabal's foolishness, and she takes responsibility for the situation. She protects her husband and her household by looking after their interests. Humility doesn't just take truth-telling. It requires us to be able to hear the truth about ourselves. We are not always right. And sometimes we have hurt, harmed others when we don't recognize the truth about ourselves. Humility requires respecting others. Abigail shows David deep respect. She greets him with a deep bow, gifts, and honors him. What a contrast to Nabal, who doesn't see David, who only sees his current situation and, and social status and judges him on them. Peacemakers see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in everyone. When, when God makes peace, he doesn't come with a big display of fanfare and strength, but in humility. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Abigail's willingness to humble herself like a servant in order to seek peace is something we can learn from, just as we can learn from Jesus about humility. Humility opens our eyes to the people around us. We can see beyond ourselves, beyond socioeconomic status, beyond race, beyond gender, to the person and the situation. There is no peace without humility, because peace requires us to have a heart of reconciliation. This is the ministry we've been given. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, in other words, is the ministry of peacemaking. Jesus humbled himself and became a peacemaker for us. And we are to do the same in the world. 
where are the places that we need to be humble in order to make peace? Is it in our relationships with our parents, siblings, friends, husband, wife, coworkers? Is it listening to their perspectives and, is, and being able to hear what they're saying? Is it asking forgiveness or is it giving forgiveness? Is it just a willingness not to leave the table without reconciliation and peace? Do we need to be humble in actively participating in racial reconciliation? Racial reconciliation requires humbly accepting the experiences others have lived, even if it differs from our own experiences and worldviews. One of my friends once said to me, when I tell someone about my experience as a black woman and the pain that it has, I don't want them to tell me what that is or explain the other side of the situation. I just want them to believe me. Peacemaking requires us to humbly accept that the experiences of others are valid and real, even if it differs from our experiences. Third, we become peacemakers by being wise. Peacemaking also requires wisdom. It requires you to make wise decisions, take wise counsel, and give wise counsel. When the servant told Abigail of the disastrous situation that their household was in due to Nabal's actions and words, he advised her to think it over. Yes, peacemaking takes action and risk, but it also takes wisdom. Abigail acted quickly, but it is after she had thought about it carefully. Peacemakers don't act impulsively. Rather, they take the time to deliberately think things through before they act. And when the situation and circumstance allows, they seek wise counsel. In Abigail's situation, her intelligence allowed her to think wisely about the situation and act quickly as it was required. Some situations require long deliberations and some do not. And it takes wisdom to know the difference. Proverbs 13.16 says, Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And even brag about their foolishness. We see that Nabal took no time to think before he acted and insulted David and his men. However, Abigail took the time to think before she acted. Because she had spent time to think carefully about the situation, she was able to act quickly and essentially save her family and household. When it is possible, it is always important to wait before making a decision. We see that demonstrated with Abigail, but we also see that in the life of Esther when she fasted and prayed before making a decision. When David's men came back and told him that Nabal, what Nabal had said, David too did not take the time to think things through, but rather decided to avenge his pride by gathering 400 men and setting out to destroy and kill Nabal's household. David even makes a foolish vow that we can see in verse 22, which says, May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. This reaction seems a little out of proportion, right? With just an insult. Could something be going on with David? Could he have some undealt with grief from Samuel's death? Could there be some fatigue or lack of self-care from living in exile in the desert? 
He is not thinking clearly as he makes a decision to kill everyone in Nabal's household. He is not considering the consequences of his actions. We need to be careful of making big decisions when we are not in a good place emotionally. It is important to cultivate people in our lives who can be a sounding board and truthsayers into our lives and into our decisions. David had just lost his wise counsel with Samuel's death. And we see that Abigail steps into the gap and provides wise counsel. She stood in the gap and gently pointed out that this violent action in anger that he was about to take would be a stumbling block to his future that God had promised him of being king. Listen to what she says in verses 28 to 31. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty of my Lord because you fight the Lord's battle and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the, live, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. I love this speech by Abigail, which by the way is one of the longest speeches by a woman in the Old Testament. She humbles herself. She praises him. She flatters him. She reminds him who he is, and she connects him with his call and his mission. And she points out that this action he was about to engage in will surely derail his mission and his call. Smart lady, right? It would be difficult for David to have a lasting legacy as king if he has blood on his hands. Abigail offers wise counsel to David, so he stops and thinks before he destroys his future. Peacemaking requires us to take risks, humble ourselves, and make wise decisions, and offer wise counsel. Wisdom requires us to have knowledge and access to knowledge. Peacemakers need to be aware of what's going on in the world and in our communities. Abigail knew who David was. She knew he was an outlaw on the run from King Saul, and she spoke eloquently and prophetically about David and his future reign as king. Compared to Nabal, who had no idea who David was or who he will be, for us to be true peacemakers, we need to be aware of what's going on in the world and by watching and reading information that comes from a variety of sources and perspectives, knowing that what is going on and, on and affecting our communities, neighborhoods, churches, and families. We need to be talking and listening to the people around us. Peacemaking happens in relationship, and, and that requires us to engage with the people who need and want peace. This is the only way we can make informed decisions. It is hard to be a peacemaker if we are ignorant of the situations that are affecting the people around us. We grow in wisdom when we seek information about current events, we learn different perspectives, we take the time to listen to others, we look at our failures and our mistakes and choose to learn from them. 
Ultimately, it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. Therefore, we need to cultivate a deep connection with God and the Holy Spirit. And that is what will help us to grow in knowledge and wisdom. Peacemakers are catalysts to change. They help to make peace. And it is because of our own relationship with God and the peace that he has that we can begin to offer the same peace to others. Let's look at 1 Samuel 25, 32 to 35. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and for avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would be alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your request and granted your request. Abigail helped to make peace between David and her family. She was able to go home in peace. Thanks to Abigail's intervention, David was reminded of his commitment to live by faith in the Lord rather than his own impulses. This is why he's able to say, praise be to the Lord God of Israel who has sent you here today and saved many from death and David from blood, blood guilt. This is a major lesson for David's training as, in kingship, one that he was going to need to look back on and learn from as he goes through future crises and decisions. Abigail helps David to not destroy his future, and he went on to become a pretty important part of history. Last June, I got the opportunity to go to San Diego, Tijuana, to learn more about the immigration uh, issues that are happening at the, in our country and at the border. The organization I went with, Global Immersion, considers their work to be peacemaking, as they are helping people to become more knowledgeable about, about immigration and about the many nuances and perspectives about border crossings, migration, and immigration. And they all look at it all through the perspective of the Bible. I got to really engage with the immigration conversation and hear the voices of those on both sides of the conversation. I got to meet deported veterans, deported mothers, talk to families who are trying to see each other at the wall, attend Border Church, which is a church service that's half on the U.S. side and half in Mexico, visited a jail facility. I got to meet with Border Patrol officers and Border Angel personnel. Border angels are those who um, try to prevent unnecessary death by leaving water drops at the border for those who are crossing the border. We met at the border one day with two border patrol officers and two border angel personnel, one of who was an immigration lawyer. It was really interesting to hear their perspectives, and they felt that they were all doing the right sides, right, right things. But they both, they both sides saw problems with the other side's perspectives. They were all good people, and they believed in the work that they were doing. Both sides were civil and polite, and, but it was clear that they disagreed with some fundamental issues about border crossing. Toward the end of our conversation, Deborah Marson, who is an ECC missionary who is currently working in Chicago with the denomination, expressed her thanks to them for taking the time to meet with us. And then she asked a question. She said... She stated how the work that they do seemed really stressful and dangerous. And she asked them, what do they do for fun and to de-stress? 
and all four people shared. The Border Patrol officer shared how she likes to work out and spend time with family. And the other officer shared how he spends time with his family, friends, and sings karaoke. The two Border, Patrol, border Angel people also ta talked about working out, spending time with family and friends, and singing karaoke. This question seemed to change the atmosphere of the conversation. And when we drove away from the border, the four of them were still standing there talking to each other. I remember this incident clearly, as it immediately struck me how Deborah, through her love and concern and asking a wise question, had changed the conversation and created a connection. It is one of my strongest memories from this trip, as I realized that this is what I want to be able to do. I want to be a peacemaker. Deborah was able to de-escalate a situation that could have easily escalated with the wrong question or with strong opinions. This is what Abigail did when she used her resources, including her wisdom, to be a peacemaker. In our current society today, where we seem more connected than ever due to globalization, we are also more polarized than ever. I went on this trip feel, feeling pretty helpless and hopeless about the immigration issues and came back amazed by the spirit of people who themselves were in the midst of serious struggles and choose to step into the gap and help others who are struggling. This is a critical time when we need more peacemakers. The Bible said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. We want the title of children of God but the children of God are called to be peacemakers. Jesus did not call us to peacekeeping, but rather to peacemaking, and he did not say it was optional. We are to be like Jesus, and Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, the ultimate mediator between God and people, and between people and people groups. He is the Prince of Peace. I would not say Jesus' life was peaceful. He was constantly engaged in some sort of conflict, whether it was challenging religious leaders or confronting sin, but it is because he was able to enter into these spaces of tension and conflict that he was able to set people free. Jesus' life demonstrated his mission to bring the peace of God in order to heal the relationship between God and people, and he paid a huge price for it. We cannot be true peacemakers like Jesus by avoiding conflicts, difficult conversations, and difficult situations. Rather, we need to enter into these places of tension and bring a peace offering to help to us to move towards peace. Abigail brought food, a feast in fact, as a peace offering. But what she really brought was a willingness to do what she needed in order to bring peace. What do we bring to the table of peace? Is it a willing heart? Is it a willingness to understand not just our side, but also the other side? All of this takes risk. All of this takes humility. And all of this takes wisdom. Are we willing to do that in order to be peacemakers, to be truly called the children of God? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just thank you that you're a God who sees us that you have called us to peacemaking, that you have asked us to take the risk to humble ourselves just like you did, to seek your wisdom as we step out in faith to be peacemakers, Lord. 
Lord, open our eyes to the places and conversations and people that we need to make peace with. Lord, if there is someone in our life that we need to forgive or seek forgiveness in, from, Lord, we just ask that you open our eyes to that person, Lord, to bring that to mind, Lord, that we don't leave here empty-handed of where the place it is that we can step forth in peace. Lord, I ask that as we choose to take our calling as children of God and be peacemakers, Lord, that you empower us and equip us, that you let your Holy Spirit guide our words and our actions so that we can truly be transformed people for you, Lord. Lord, we put the rest of the service into your hands. We ask that you bless us, that you protect us um, from the enemy, from sickness, from all the things, Lord. But let, that we also remind us that who we are and what we're called to. We praise on your precious name. Amen. If you can take out your communication card um, that we filled out with Pastor Sunita before and turn to the back of it, there is the next steps that we can all take together. For the first time, I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. If this is your first time making a commitment to Jesus, I am so excited for you. I just ask that you stop by the next table where one of our staff members can help you in this start this journey. We have a free gift for you. But this is not a journey you want to travel alone. We are called to be a community. And when we are walking faith, we walk together. And so please stop at the next table. I need to make peace with someone and need to talk to a pastor. Hopefully, God reveals someone, something, some conversation where you need to be engaged in peace. And some of you can step right forth and do it. But some of us are not ready to forgive or to seek forgiveness yet. And you need to talk to someone. Our pastoral staff is ready to help you with that, with that conversation and with that journey. So please check that off and we will reach out to you and help you with that. I will sign up and attend the Women's Ministry Luncheon next Sunday, March 15th. Pastor Shirley will be speaking. I hope you can come out. This is a perfect day to sign up for that, you know, International Women's Day. Let's uh, get together as women and see what God is saying to us. There's also the Women's uh, Retreat coming up on May 15th and 17th. I hope you can all go. Please check that off. I will read Numbers 26:33 and Numbers 27, 1 through 11 in preparation for next Sunday. You know, the, God has a message for you. And it is way easier to hear it if you've already engaged with the text. So I hope that you take the time to read those verses before you come. And the one that's not on your next on your next steps is the Easter cards. I hope you can go at least fill out one so that our brothers in prison know that we are thinking of them, that there is peace for them too. I, my girls were out there filling it out before and they were so excited and they, and I was, they were like, what should I say? And I was like, I don't know. But do you know what? My six-year-old wrote like seven of them and I didn't tell her what to write at all. And so they have the words. So please write a card for them, for, for our brothers in prison, but also invite your children to do the same. 